Welcome to Fear the Wave. This is the Fear the Wave cast um, game 11 preview with Kelly Camarda, Jake Weinstock, Jimmy Ordno, and our special guest for this episode, Nick Anderson, the captain. Nick, <laughs> welcome, man. Man, thank y'all for having me, man. It's an honor to be on this. Well, no, it's an honor to have you, and we appreciate you, um, you know, spending time with us. And why don't we go to you first, Nick? You know, obviously being a guy who played last year in the Cotton Bowl, has, uh, you know, a, a leader of our team and, and one of the guys that really propelled us into this level where we're now talking about a second straight potential double-digit win season. Um, talk about, you know, where we've come, where where we are now, how you see our defense specifically, and and some of the things that uh, you know you see good, bad, and ugly on, on the defensive side of the ball. Most definitely, uh, I'm glad that you say uh, one of the guys um, because that's one of the things that I uh, think a lot of people don't realize when it comes to the game of football itself is how much of a team sport it really is, and how much of a collective um, that wins and winning championships and getting to bowl games is the players, the coaches, the the support staff, everybody goes into that and goes into getting wins on each and every Saturday. It's not like, okay, this one guy, you know, goes out and single-handedly, you know, propels the team to victory week to week. You know, it's a joint effort. You know, it's, it's people working behind the scenes, such as the training staff, making sure that guys can play each and every week. Um, but overall, I've been excited with what I've seen from the defense this season, um, especially looking at the linebacker position, looking at, you know, Jesus Machado leading the team with, uh, I think, 77 tackles. Um, I know Corey Platt would have been right beside him if him had not gotten hurt. But, I mean, you got Tyler Groves, who has been playing dynamically at the linebacker position, and also Jerry Small. And I, I'm not going to lie, not to be a little biased, but I, I got to – different kind of heart for Jerry Small because, you know, he's an older guy, you know, a guy that, you know, isn't very big, but he just plays the game and reminds me kind of myself, which I don't like to say because it makes it seem like I'm old <laughs> and I just played last year. But um, just love the way that he blitzes, love the way that he gets um in the backfield, had a big sack versus ECU, um, and just has been balling. And even on the back end, you know, losing Larry last year, losing Macon, Lummy, you know, three senior safeties. You know, we didn't miss a beat. You know, we got DJ Douglas, who's balling, got 35 tackles. Bailey Despaney, who's number two on the team with 50. Um, Kentrell Webb getting out there, balling, young guys balling. Um, so that's good to see, especially as an alum, knowing that we have the type of program that can consistently have guys in and out, regardless of what we lose on a year-to-year basis. So I feel like the defense has definitely been doing well. I would love to see the trenches get back at it like they did through the thick of the season, get more to the quarterback. I feel like we've been slacking in that um, these past couple of weeks. Um, but like I said, man, we, we've been winning. And that's the most important thing is winning each and every week. But it's also, you know, the last push, the last job of the season, and you have to play perfect ball. You got to tighten up on things where you're weak at. And so I feel like, you know, the big emphasis on Saturday needs to be attacking the quarterback. You're looking at FAU who has a talented quarterback who has received AAC on a roll um, at least twice this year. And then they got a receiver that's over a thousand yards receiving and is being featured in every game. And so I feel like the biggest thing is the big guys up front really getting after the quarterback, affecting him, making him have to go to his 
other receivers and not feature their receivers so much because when that happens, you get a guy like Lance who has four interceptions on the season. You know, you get a guy like j who got another interception last week. You give those guys a chance to really make plays when everything starts up front and the guys get after up front. But overall, I'm really proud of the defense. I feel like um, Coach uh, Woods is doing a great job with the defense. Um, he He's a, a great guy, great D.C. I've had uh, numerous conversations with him um, and they're in great hands. Well, Nick, we like to get a little nerdy on this podcast, and we, we like to dive in a little bit deeper sometimes and talk about specifics. And, and this past week, we probably had our biggest challenge in the passing game that we faced all season as far as, you know, we gave up some yards. We, we missed some tackles. Some things happened. We, we gave up volume yards um, against Tulsa, you know, but we gave up 22 points and we were able to win the game. Right. Uh, and, which is what matters. But as somebody who clearly knows more football uh, and has forgotten more football than I've ever known in my life, tell us a little bit about what you saw specifically, what Tulsa did really well and how they attacked us and how we can learn from that tape going forward. I feel like the biggest thing with Tulsa was their ability to have different quarterbacks and us not really knowing who we were going to see. I mean, the freshman quarterback got in and played extremely well. And I remember in 2020 when we knocked out the starting quarterback, the second-string quarterback, and then the third-string got in and tight-roped us and won the game. So it's just one of those things that you really got to take that into consideration. You've been prepping all week for two dual-threat guys that are more prone to run, and then you get it in the game and Tulsa puts in their their slinger. Um, And he did – exceptionally well he he made the right reads made the right throws um but being a defense that you know prides itself on you know getting guys behind the chains I feel like that's the biggest thing that we didn't do last week is early downs getting TFLs getting you know guys behind the chains to where now it's third and long and your corners and DBs don't have to make you know as much of stressful plays versus you know it's way easier to play on third and 15 third and 10 rather than third and two and things like that. Um, so I feel like the the tackling wasn't what I would like it to be. Um, and it's just simple fundamentals. That's something that you can clean up um, easily. It's just the fact of, you know, having that understanding to keep your feet running, don't really take dodge, really go in and wrap up guys. So everything I feel like, you know, we slacked in defensively last week had nothing to do with the scheme, but more so as execution and really just going out there and doing it. Well, that's uh, one of the things you you pointed out as well is uh, is the trenches, and that's where we'll bring Jimmy into the discussion. Jimmy, um, looking at both sides of the ball for Tulane, you know, we were banged up a little bit on the offensive line again this past week, um, losing Rashad for the week, and uh, you know, obviously Josh has been out. And then on the defensive side of the ball, you know, as Nick pointed out, we didn't really get a lot of penetration and a lot of. Uh, pressure on the quarterback last week I mean some of it may have been by design but you know it, it seemed like you know we just were a little bit unsure um run versus pass and we didn't really pin our ears back and get after the quarterback like we saw early in the season talk about our performance on the defensive line um specifically and, and then the offensive line I know that that's your bread and butter get into what you saw with uh our offensive line last week yeah no problem um you know, defensively, I, I, uh, the one comment, <clears throat> talked to several, uh, just separate conversations with defensive staff members after the game and like sort of their 
their their their big comment just unsolicited was man I, you know this kid kind of we saw he had a half half of uh football on tape and he comes out and he's you know hitting the back foot and going you know he was just he was commenting essentially on how on time he was getting rid of the ball and so anytime a quarterback is on time and 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 able to get rid of it early um you know you're not going to rush you're not going to get a pass rush i mean you, you typically need um unless you you're bringing an extra guy right but 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 generally speaking we were a four-man rush and you're bringing four you're going to need a little bit more time to get back there and so i think a lot of it is credit to him um you, you know um i think the kid played better than anybody really expected to see because in that one half you know he he wasn't as impressive as he was against us you know there was there was some some other things you know and some of it was on a back end look you know it's it's call it make an excuse call it what you will but you know uh one of the guys who probably 150 yards came on two coverage busts from a player who was sick three days last week you know of course that never comes out but you know kids barely sleep and he's dehydrated the whole thing you know his preparation probably wasn't as good as everybody else's and then, you know, the result of that is, you know, you, you are, I guess you wonder what else is happening on all the other plays, right? Like, you know, you're a little bit softer on one of the corners than, than maybe you have been um, not, you know, you know, not given a little bit too much cushion, right? Given that easy throw, that throw that comes out on time. And then now that looks like the defensive line's not doing their job. Well, that's not always the case. The, the, the two really kind of go hand in hand. Um, but, you know, there, there's some injuries up front. I, the thing that strikes me on that side of the ball is like, you know, Adonis Freelu's been in on crutches, you know, or, or unavailable at least for about a month now, or, you know, you know, for the vast majority of my two lane fandom up till last season, really probably, you know, a player of his caliber is out. It's completely noticeable. You know, you, you, you don't replace a guy like Adonis uh, in most of this two lane era since, since I played. And yet, you know, you kind of it's not that noticeable because there's just so many guys, right? As good of a player as he is, you know, there's just so many guys. Eric Hicks is there, no no Italy's there, you know, obviously Pat Jenkins, um, Cam Hamilton. I mean, you know, the the guys inside are just, you know, we we just have so many dudes in there. We even saw um Champagne getting some run at at uh nose uh this game and 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 doing a good job. And of course, you know, the guys on the edge, you know, we're missing Angelo, but you still got Devin, you still got Darius, you still got Keith Cooper, um, I'm sure I'm leaving somebody out, but um, you know, I mean, it's just it's 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 dude after dude, you know. I, I do think, you know, I'm getting a little probably need to tighten up some some of our tackling. I, I don't think we were as disruptive in the in the run game. Not that they run, ran it all that well against us, but you know, too many tackles probably in the second and third level uh, for my liking. Uh, relative to how many we got up front, you like to see when you look at the stat sheet in the game, you like to see that you've been disruptive. You got those TFLs in there. You got. Um, you know, a little bit more tackles from the guys up front. I thought there were a lot of times that opportunities were there, couldn't wrap up for whatever reason. So, you know, certainly we need to tighten it up. But that, that another comment that from the defensive staff was that Tulsa was, you know, a top two, three offensive line that they've studied all year on film. You know, Tulsa's lack of offensive productivity wasn't because that the unit, the, the offensive line unit was a poor unit as much as they just haven't had a consistent quarterback play. Well, they got that on Saturday. And when they got it, you know, all of a sudden everything kind of clicked into place. So, you know, I always want to credit those other guys, you know, just because they haven't had a great season overall, 
um, you know, they're, they're talented dudes. And if they actually come out and play a good, you know, play to their capability, they can give, give you a test. And, you know, we're seeing that, man. I mean, we're, we're, we've won 21 out of 24 and we're going to get everybody's best shot. And, and we know that, and, you know, we got to rise above that. And so far we we've done it. I'd like to rise above it with a little bit more cushion sometime, but, but you know, you take, you take what you can get and nine and one's nine and one uh, on the other side of the ball, you know, um, I think the injuries were there, and yet, if you look at an individual performance by individual performance, you don't see a lot of drop off on that level. Um, you know, we saw Prince Pines return. I mean, this is an all conference caliber guard, absolute mauler. Nick, Nick will tell us about having a deal with the combination of Sincere and Prince in practice. I'm sure that, that was a, that was a pack of lunch type of day uh, on those inside drills, but you know. The um, you know, yeah, but first game back, probably probably need to get his legs under him a little bit. Um, you know, uh, you can't replicate game conditioning. Uh, and when you when you're sideline for a while, it takes a little bit to get it back. And so we'll see even a better Prince this week. Um, but you know, with some of the shuffling, you know, what what you lose, and when I say if you grade them all individually, they all did fine, but what you lose is some of that continuity, you know, so much of running the football. And and passing off and and pass protection, you know, with all the games and stunts you see, is communication and feel, and, and it's kind of understanding intuitively what the guy next to you is going to do. And so when you kind of bouncing guys around, I mean, Trey Tuggle filling in admirably, you know, but he's played some guard, he's played some tackle. It's his first game at right tackle, um, you know, Shadre's her first game at right guard, and and so they're you know they're kind of working together for the first time, you know, you just you know, how you work in sync as a tandem to deal with the live bullets is something that you don't really develop until you've actually done it. And, and so, you know, you, you, you lose a little bit of rhythm. Uh, you lose a little bit of a uh, feel uh, collectively when, when you have the shuffling, but look on the bright side of things, you know, you got at least seven quality offensive linemen on this team. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you know, Shadra has demonstrated, uh, he's a starting caliber player in this league. He'll be an all-league player. He'd probably be an all-league center next year and, and going forward, if I had to guess. Um, you know, obviously, our center is currently occupied by a Remington guy who's one of the best players of college football, sincere. But, you know, I could see Shadre there next year. But for now, he's above average guard. And, of course, man, look, Trey Tuggle played great. Um, you're getting Ra-Ra back. Ra-Ra's been on the come. He's a guy with a lot of experience, but he's a guy who uh, who's probably having his best season you know, until he was sidelined with this little leg thing, but it's nothing long-term or serious and, and Ra Ra will be back. Um, but in the meantime, you know, you got some confidence with Trey. So look, I, I, um, I, you wanted more production. There, there are different reasons for that. I think, I think really the injuries out wide had more to do with the lack of rhythm on offense than the guys up front. Uh, but certainly those guys, best games in, in front of them as well. Yeah, Nick, I'm taking advantage of you being here, buddy. I'm, I, I want to bring you in again. Uh, to follow up on something that Jimmy said, you know, it's a next man up mentality, but you can't have next man up if you don't have the ability to do what Coach Fritz is preaching, recruit, retain, and develop. And what does it mean to have guys that have been in the program that have stayed the course despite not playing for two or three years? Guys like Trey Tuggle, guys like Parker Peterson, who played some, some snaps this week, um, just just guys like DJ Douglas, who was a special teamer basically only for a year or two. I mean, in the era of the transfer portal, a lot of these guys end up leaving. But at Tulane, they're staying, they're developing, 
and they're and we're reaping the benefits of that and they're they're getting a lot better day in and day out and they're ready to play when their number's called talk about that the culture and, and how keeping guys around and keeping them buying into the process how much that has contributed to our success most definitely man and um like you said it just goes to the culture the culture of being a two-lane football player the standard of pride that coach Fritz has really brought to this university to where you want to be a green wave football player you have the pride of you know rocking the roll wave on your jersey week in week out you know you know that you're playing for something bigger than yourself um you have a pride to play for coach Fritz um coach Fritz receiving the award last year for being the best coach in college football wasn't just because we you know, won the Cotton Bowl. I'm pretty sure that played a hand, but we felt like Coach Fritz was the best coach in college football. He really cares about his players. And that's one of the things that you very seldom find is a coach that, you know, he gets on to you. Now, he, he's the first one to get on to you about something, but it's out of love. It's out of genuineness. You know, he really wants his guys to succeed, come in this program and leave it better men. You know, coming to this program, you know, just being a better person on the field as you or off the field. And that's just some of the qualities that guys know they might not find in they if they get in the transfer portal. And then just having the camaraderie that we have and have ha built in that locker room, you don't want to leave that. You know, a lot of guys, like I said in the past, had opportunities to leave before the season last year. And it, everybody was like, they wouldn't have blamed us, you know, coming off the season that we had. But we was like, man, like, it's just something about being in Uptown, something about playing for Tulane University that we just can't leave. And I just feel like, you know, that's a sight to see. And that's how you know a culture is really booming for real. When you see guys that, like you said, have dealt with injuries, have dealt with, you know, being at the bottom of the depth chart, but they want to continue and really put the team first, really want to, you know, disregard their own individuality and say, you know, what can I do for this team, you know, Shaquem Lassiter is somebody that really goes unnoticed, but is a freaking baller. And he hasn't really had his opportunity yet, but I know it's his time will come. I know he's one of those guys that, you know, just happy to be on special teams flying around week in, week out. My dog, Keelan Harrison, is another one, somebody that just takes pride. I mean, Keelan, with his speed, he can go play anywhere in the country. But this is one of those things that, you know, he wants to stay here. He, he loves his team. He loves – the culture that Tulane University has to offer. And I just feel like that's one of the things that, you know, Coach Fritz really sold me with during recruiting, and he really held true to his bun that the culture of Greenway football would be something that you become a part of and never want to leave. Very well said. Um, we'll bring in Jake Weinstock now to talk about offense. Jake, um, you know, first off, you know, we, we've covered the offensive performance from last week. And obviously, you know, we had guys go down and we, we had to play several different guys at receiver. And, and uh, you know, Shedro got some, uh, some run at receiver even a, a little bit during the game. Um, but looking at FAU specifically first, previewing what they have to offer. I mean, they've got a receiver who has over 90 catches. He's over 1,000 yards, as Nick said. He has, I think, five or six games, maybe maybe six, with 10 or more catches already this season. What do you see from them on tape? What's the key to shutting them down? And, um, you know, to follow up on that a little bit too, has Tom Herman's offense really even changed over the last 
seven or eight years because they looked really similar to those old Houston teams when I was watching them. Yeah, so it's it's interesting. I was going through the research this week, and you just don't expect a Tom Herman team to be one that really has a below average offense, and that's what that's what they've been this year. You know, to the extent they've had success, and and look, I mean, I, I don't want anyone to misunderstand. This is a four and six football team playing for their bowl lives, and um, you know, Nick, I'm sure has for as you said, has forgotten more than I'll ever know about what it's like to be a team in November playing with that that sense of desperation and all of your goals all season long still being in front of you with just a little bit of ball left, especially for those upperclassmen. And, and that's kind of where this group is. But, you know, this has been a team that really has struggled um, in a lot of offensive categories despite having that option at receiver, right? I mean, he's not – He's not just over a thousand yards. He leads the entire FBS in targets with 129 through nine games. He leads the FBS in receptions with 92. He is eighth in yards, as y'all mentioned, just over a thousand. He's 19th in touchdowns, and he has a 39% target share, which is unbelievably high. Unbelievably high. Some of the other, you know, top receivers in the country that we think about being first round picks, someone like Marvin Harrison Jr for example, is is lower than that. And, you know, he's already high himself in the low 30%. Um, so that's really where the offense begins for them. Um, that's obviously where, you know, quarterback Daniel Richardson, a, a Central Michigan transfer actually, is going to look the majority of the time. Um, but outside of leaning into that one player, it's not been a group that's had – Tremendous success. They're they're 83rd in out of 133 FBS qualifiers in scoring. They're 99th um, in total offense, 329 yards a game. They are the 91st best third down conversion percentage team in the country. They're turning it over uh, 1.6 times per game. They um, are 97th in punts per offensive score, a, a statistic we've talked about quite a lot here. And I think what what is interesting about the way in which they use, you know, the the one weapon they have, or, or certainly the best weapon they have, is that if you take every receiver in the FBS that through these nine games of the season, ten games of the season for some, um, I guess for all at this point, actually, ten games through the season, um, has cleared 900 yards, he has the second lowest average depth of target. Right among eighteen different players, he is he has the second lowest average depth of target, and so that that is informative. That's going to tell us where um, he's going to get the ball. He lines up in the slot seventy four percent of the time. So Cam Pettisglow is going to have his hands full Saturday morning. Um, but it, what's interesting, Kelly, bringing it back to your initial point, is they haven't even throughout the course of this season evolved a tremendous amount despite the fact that they've changed quarterbacks daniel richardson was not the starter to start the season casey thompson was you know broke camp winning that job he was the starting quarterback obviously he tore his acl up in clemson um in their loss there in september and it's been richardson for virtually every single snap since then um but really it's been a a passing offense that has been very very defense dependent Right. So Richardson was absolutely fantastic against USF and against Charlotte 
Um, you know, against East Carolina last week, he was not, um, to put it kindly. And, you know, tying into something Nick said, it has a, a lot of this has had to do with pressure. Um, FAU is a team that has lost three of their last four ball games, um, finds themselves in this position at four and six. Um, Richardson has been pressured at least 11 times in three of those last four games and has been sacked at least five times in three of those last four games. It won't surprise anybody on this podcast or listening to know those were the three out of the four that they ended up losing. So um, that is going to be such a key this weekend is, is getting pressure on this quarterback. And I would caution those who would want to lean into the blitz um, even on third down, he's actually been better against the blitz across the board in, in almost every statistical category through his seven starts on the season than he has been against three or four men pressures. Um, of course, he's, you know, as with almost every quarterback ever, um, certainly for a long stretch of time, he has been worse when pressured versus when he's been kept clean. But he has been very, very effective against the blitz. Um, and part of that is because he's getting the ball out really quickly. Um, he's getting the ball out an average of 2.46 seconds, um, you know, time to throw, time, uh, snap to throw. Um, but as I said, if you can get there, it is an offense that just doesn't work. They don't run the ball particularly well. If you can get them in those down and distances, Nick was referencing earlier, where it's third and 10, third and 15, even third and seven or third and eight, and they have, for the most part, predetermined um, – you have predetermined for them what they are going to do with the ball based on down and distance unless you're in one of those weird spots in the field where, you know, you can take a third and eight into a fourth and four and go for it. Um, that is such, such an advantage for the defense, for the pass rush, as we all know very well. And so that's that's the key to the game, in my opinion, is, you know, I, I do think um, – you know, they, they should have some success moving the ball through the air because they're going to get it out quickly. And because for the most part, we play a defense that, um, you know, injuries aside, uh, illnesses aside, allows for the underneath throw. You know, we're this has been a, a team this year that is very comfortable allowing a short pass because we're going to trust our ability to tackle. We are going to try to take away the big play, not let anyone beat us over the top. Um, and when we have faltered as a defense this year, it's be, been because of some poor tackling, perhaps because we're getting some more drift than we want um, in zone coverage. And that's where, as I said last week, and, and Jimmy referenced it earlier, that's when you have a little bit too much air in the coverage. And, you, you know, those five, six yard you know, passes that you're, you're comfortable giving up from time to time turn into uh, 8, 10, 12, 14 yard completions that really very quickly and effort effortlessly move the chains. And that's what you want to avoid. Um, but for the most part, this should be a FAU passing attack that will play into the way we want to play defense. And, you know, certainly if you can um, have an opponent play to your strength, um, you're, you're going to be in a good spot. Nick, following up on that really quick, um, you mentioned tackling is, you know, was it was something we needed to shore up. Playing a team that that throws the ball underneath a ton um, is obviously tackling is obviously going to be a concern going into this game. 
what what can you do during the week and what have you what have you done um with coach fritz in the past to try to shore up tackling um in the middle of the season um overall just put an emphasis on it you know late in the season you can get so worried about game planning worried about um route combinations and different schemes um that you don't really focus on the fundamentals. And that's one of the things that we really did last year after we lost to UCF, went back to more of a fundamental type practice of, okay, let's just work on tackling drills, spend a period of, you know, guys running through tackles, running your feet, getting your feet in the hoop um, and tracking and things like that. So I'm pretty sure this week they spent some time on that, just clean up the small things because when you're playing a more vision and break defense, um, similar to what we played last year where, you know, you're dropping and giving up the underneath stuff. You got to be able to rally. You got to be able to approach the ball and make tackles and, you know, make vice tackles and things like that. So it's all about angles and all about preparation. I'm pretty sure they've done a very well job to be prepared on Saturday. Well, let's talk about offense now, um, specifically the two-lane offense. Jake, um, you know, looking at what – uh, FAU does on defense and uh, understanding that we may still be without some guys on the offensive side of the ball at receiver. Um, how would you attack this FAU defense? What do the numbers tell us and what do you expect us to do? The numbers tell us that you should throw the ball. Um, you know, this has been a, a stingy run defense against FBS opponents. They're just allowing 3.8 yards per carry. Um, that's 37th best in the country. Um, despite that, they're 80th in the country out of, again, 133 qualifiers overall. They're allowing 400 yards a game. Um, and they're 93rd in passing yards allowed against with a pretty healthy yards per attempt clip against. Um, and so, you know, I think Nick's tweet over the weekend really made me sit down and think about the, the similarities and, of course, the differences between the 2022 and 2023 teams, two-lane green wave teams. And what struck me as, as interesting as I was thinking about um, recording this show with you all tonight is that, you know, everyone knows Tajay Spears isn't here anymore, right? I, everyone is very aware of that. We talk about that all the time. He's now tearing it up on Sundays um, and is going to, you know, have Derrick Henry out of a job here pretty soon. But Makai Hughes has been awesome. I mean, he, he, he has had, you know, he's over a thousand yards. I saw on Twitter today um, by not fear the wave that this is already the ninth highest rushing total in a season for a running back in Tulane history. Um, he should be up to six or seven by the time we all sit around and have dinner on Saturday evening. He's had six straight games of over a hundred yards. He, he's been phenomenal. And yet now for a couple of weeks, it really just felt, feels like the offense hasn't clicked. You know, last weekend, certainly we only scored the two touchdowns on offense. They were on two of the first three possessions, and then we went cold thereafter. The week before, you know, you go up to East Carolina and play, a, a, again, a tough defense who FAU will be the, the first or second in line with the two-lane offense to tell you that's a good defense since they were held to seven points in a rather atrocious offensive performance um, against the Pirates from Greenville. Um, and then the week before that, obviously Tulane had, you know, we had the big first half against Rice. Everything seemed to be clicking and then really struggled um, with our limited possessions, as Jimmy and I have touched on a number of times in the second half. And so it just it strikes me as interesting that despite the fact that 
our running game and, and our, our primary bell cow running back have been so good. The offense has come nowhere close to its potential solely because it's you have to have both, right? And that's certainly the disagreement Jimmy and I had um, at times last year, but it, it really is the truth. You, you need to have both firing to have an elite offense, and that's where I would really hope that we can get to over these last two regular season games and, and hopefully in the AAC Conference Championship game if we get an opportunity to be there because this is exactly the time last year when our offense completely caught fire. We, it was 10 games into the season. We were eight and two, we were not nine and one, um, which is another, you know, um, uh, another point to what Nick was trying to articulate to people on Saturday afternoon and did so well. Um, we actually have a better record at this point in the season than we did last year. Um, I bet you most people wouldn't, wouldn't realize that or wouldn't remember that, but that was an eight and two ball club who was coming off of a, a tough loss where we, we got outplayed a little bit at home against UCF. We had SMU on a Thursday night at home and absolutely obliterated them. Um, I say we. Nick did. I didn't really do anything. I just kind of watched in the cold. But, um, you know, and then I went up to Cincinnati and, and, and won that game in another, another effort that really featured tremendous balance from from the offensive side of the ball, Tajay was terrific all day. But that game that game does not get won if not for the strides made by the passing game, uh, Michael Pratt in particular in the fourth quarter. And so, the numbers tell us, Kelly, that we need to throw the ball this week. And I recognize that you know we may be down, you know, the same receivers we did not have last week. You know, we may not have Keys, Jackson, Brown. We may have some of those, but we're certainly not going to have all three. And so. We need, to, we need to make the best of what we have with the guys we have. And there is, there is talent on this roster beneath the starting line in a way that probably almost feels common and, and um, like the standard to Nick. But, to, you know, to guys like me who have been watching this program for 20, 22 years, th- that is just such a new phenomenon, right? You know, Jimmy mentioned you know, what, what things would look like on defense – um, 10, 15, 20 years ago, if we lost a guy like Adonis and, um, you know, this year we have the depth to, to overcome that. I, I think our receiving core is much the same way. I think Chris Brazel is a great player. Uh, everything I have seen from Bryce Bohannon when he has had his limited opportunities, much like a Bailey Despaini last season, much like a Jesus Machado last season playing behind two superstars has been really good. He made, I thought he made the most of his opportunities Saturday, he, he, you know, people forget the two big catches he had in that East Carolina game at home last season, right in the middle of the, of the year when we needed him. Um, people forget that, you know, he got some valuable time in those first two games of, of last season against UMass and Alcorn State that have prepared him for this moment. Um, and, you know, I, I think Dante Fleming probably had one or two targets that he would like back Saturday afternoon. But all three of those guys are absolutely without question bonafide division one football players and receivers. And, uh, you know, I, I would expect a better overall output from our passing attack this Saturday. Um, you know, we were down a tight end last week. I don't expect that to be the case. I, I would think Chris Carter is going to be back. Um, and we're going to have the trio of Brown Carter and Bauman in there. And it, it just, it's an opportunity for the passing offense to get going. And I feel like a broken record. I've said that a number of times. I, I really thought 
you know, given, given Tulsa's, um, you know, how, how they stuck, stood up statistically over the course of the season, that that would be the opportunity. But, you know, now that we're going into a game, knowing exactly who we have, having a full week of practice um, to get comfortable with an opponent that is going to allow us the opportunity to pass because as awesome as Makai has been, this is going to be a, a, a very difficult test if he's going to get to seven straight games of 100 yards, much as it was against East Carolina, where um, you know it, it, every single inch is going to be fought for in the running game this week. I can tell you that. Um, and so that's there will be opportunities in the pass game. There will be opportunities for explosive plays. And I'm fully confident that our guys are going to capitalize when those opportunities present themselves to help this team get, get uh, its 10th one of the year. Well, Jimmy, um, you know, to go back a little bit in Tulane history, you know, it's to me, this is Michael Pratt's version of the Sean King Southern Miss game, you know, where you go into that game when, when you were playing in 98, Sean King has a, you know, broken hand. Uh, you don't know what you're going to get from him, but he guts it out and, and makes kind of puts the team on his shoulders um, you know, on offense, the defense played great in that game, and we had a full team win. I think we're going to need the same type of effort, but for different reasons this week where, you know, Michael Pratt, I think this is going to be a game that we remember for a long time from him where he's going home. You know, he's not the one injured, but we've got injuries around him. We kind of need him this week to put the team on his shoulders, and, and we need the rest of the team you know, obviously to rise to the occasion as well. But I feel like this is a game where Pratt is really going to solidify. I feel like it's going to be a game we remember for a while. What do you see from him going into this week? I I kind of feel the same way. I mean, like Nick, Nick, Nick knows him better than any of us and he can chime in after I finish, but the, uh, just the way the guy's wired from what I observe, he, going home with his mom securing 400 tickets for family, friends, and all this other stuff, the kid is going to go put on a show. And, you know, one of the things that goes overlooked, yeah, okay, you're missing weapons. But when you're missing last week, it's one thing to go into the week knowing people are missing and Michael spends, you know, all week practicing in, in developing timing with the guys who are going to play. But really the, the the hardest thing last week was you Keith and Lawrence went down in the first quarter. And so you got a whole game plan that's set and you got everything that you practice all week kind of goes out the window because now you kind of got to go back to, to, you know, pet catch throw situations. You really haven't worked since, since camp in terms of the, the, the personnel combinations, and so, you know, and you, you kind of saw it. I mean, there, there, there was a throw to Dante deep. Look, it's a touchdown this week probably because it was off by a quarter of a step, right? You know, but it was an overthrow there. Um, there was a comeback to Dante. He loses his footing. The timing was just a little bit off. The interception was 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 a tight window throw to Bryce over the middle that, you know, they kind of got a better feel in terms of, you know, where to put the ball so Bryce could use his body to shoot off the defender. I mean, these are things that you develop – from working with guys they didn't have that last week they had that this week and so you take that plus the motivation the extra motivation for michael just the fact that he's always been a gamer man i mean the kid like to your point putting a team on his back i mean it's like whenever we needed clutch plays pratt's 
just made them. I mean, you know, th- these last two years has been incredible. And and then look, the coach Fritz talks about he made an interesting point in the post game interview here uh, recently after one of the last two games. He talks about you know most teams in college football at this time of season are descending; they're going down. We want to be a team, and this is something he's emphasized the last couple of years. We want to be a team that's ascending at the end of the season. And when we think about who, when when you look at your your strongest memories of last year's team in in the run. Is as amazing as the Kansas State win was, as amazing as that Houston win was with third string quarterback Kai coming in and, and leading us to overtime victory. You know, when you think about that season and you think about how great that team was in your head, you think about the last four games. You think about SMU, you think about you um Cincinnati. Okay, you, you know, decimated SMU, like Jake said, but you, you know, you snapped the 30 something game home winning streak for Cincinnati, 34 game, I believe, home winning streak. To, to, to seal the conference. This was the week Nick Anderson predicted that Navy would go knock off UCF so we could host. Just out of nowhere. I mean, everybody thought he was crazy. Boom, it happens, right? Like, the most poignant part of that season, that's where we're at right now. We're just at the start of that, man. The, the ascension, the ascendance, the, the greatness of that this group has to offer, it's to come now if we were to follow the script of last year, right? And, of course, you know, if they were to take care of business in the next two weeks, then you host the conference championship again, and then you go to a New Year's Six Bowl. I mean, it's all there in front of them. I don't think it's lost on any of those guys in the locker room, certainly not number seven. And, you know, I just think it's, these are the moments that kid lives for, man. And to go out, be able to go home and show out for the home folks, I mean, I I, I just I totally expect a whale of a football game from him. And I'm sorry, Kelly, let me just hop right in. Jimmy, that, it's not just last year's team. And, and to credit Nick and, and everyone he played with and Coach Fritz, think about our last three seasons. You know, 2020 was a year. It was, it was the COVID year. It was strange. We, we had to, um, you know, restructure our schedule right before the season, lose games, pick up games. That team played its best football down the stretch. That was a team that finished the regular season six and five, um, but won four of its last last five ball games in November. And then the following year, 2021, obviously a very, very difficult season for a lot of reasons. You know, only went two and ten, but I don't think there's any doubt in anyone's mind that team played its best football in November. And to bring people back to that year, we you know, we played Cincinnati, who was coming or who actually made the college football playoff that year at home with uh, a backup quarterback making his first start, we showed well, probably, you know, we're right. Or sorry, we're absolutely right in the game at UCF Tulsa at home, lost in overtime, blew the doors off of South Florida and was right there again with Memphis at the end of the season. So this is now a three year pattern and hopefully we're into four of a program playing its best football in November into the first weekend in December. And, and, you know, hopefully that's exactly right where we are. Go ahead, Kelly. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I, I just want to get Nick back in here for something. And I think that it's important and it, it builds on what you guys are saying. Um, but also has a little bit of a twist because Nick had a very poignant tweet this weekend about, you know, how every team is different. Every year is different. The players are different. The coaches are different. The circumstances are different. The way you win is different. And I think that a lot of our fans um, have expressed some concern about us playing close games. And I think um, 
Nick, you made a lot of really good points. I just want you to expound on that a little, expand on that a little bit and talk to us about, you know, why we should not be concerned about playing and winning close games and why you believe we're about to take off right now. Most definitely. Um, a lot of my reasoning behind that is because a lot of fans watched us go through that 2021 season and us go to being two and 10. And I know that was painful to watch, but it was painful to go through. <laughs> and <laughs> A lot of people don't realize that, man, like you only win two games. You bust your tail for a really 65% of the year to spend the last 45% of the year, 35%, my bad, my math a little off, but spend the last 35% of the year playing in football games and you only win two of them. And one you win in the beginning of the season, the other one you win at the end of the season. That's a lot of losses. So it really teaches you to value winning. You know, not value winning because, oh, I want to win, but no, I don't want to lose again. And that's the fire that we played with last year. Like, we're not losing. And yeah, you know, you want to win. You want to have the big wins to where you're blowing the team out and the team's not scoring. And, you know, a zero looks good on the scoreboard, but a win looks even better. You know, it's a lot of programs that wish they were six and six. You know, I was looking at the media and you got, you know, James Madison and Jacksonville State might have to play in a bowl game because not enough teams are six and six. And we have a two-lane two green wave team that's nine and one. And the last 24 games have won 21, like, what are we what are we what are we talking about at this point? You know, this is the same Tulane team that not only went two and ten two years ago, but before that was six and six, six and six, barely making bowl games. And now we're at the top of our conference. Like, why are we about to to burn the house down? You know, I understand. I, I love the enthusiasm from the fans. I love it. I love it. I love the fact that people coming out every week and want to see Tulane completely obliterate their opponents. I love the pride that has come behind this program because, you know, I've been at games, my first game in Yolman Stadium, it maybe was 700 people in the stands when we played FIU. So to see the reality of how people are coming behind the team now, you know, really makes me proud to be an alum. But it's one of those things to where make sure that it's positive. Make sure that you're building the guys up. You know, nobody puts on a helmet and shoulder pass and goes out there and like, oh, I'm not going to give my best. No, they go out there and give their best every Saturday. I guarantee it. They don't want to lose, but that's just the way that things happen. You can't control the way that things go in a football game. But the one thing that has been consistent is the one and no mentality, us going out and getting the win. Because at the end of the day, that's what matters, the wins. And I just feel like, you know, as a, as a fan base, people were just too hard on the guys. Like, they're winning. It, it would be a difference if we were out here losing close games. No, we're winning close games. I remember a spell where we lost close games. You know, games would be close. We couldn't finish it. The fourth quarter, it was like, oh, man, like, we we just couldn't find the willpower to win, yet we have that as a program. And I feel like that's something that we build behind. We continue to support those guys because those guys are fighting. Guys are injured. Guys are going through a lot, man. It's November. They've been playing a lot of football. And a lot of people don't realize the reality is that you know, these guys are going through, going through and also they're student athletes. Let's not really take that for granted. Tulane is a rigorous institution and they are battling that while also being nine and one, number 17 in the nation. And we're complaining. 
Like, like, I, and and like I said, man, you know, maybe we spoiled, you know, everybody last year, you know, by coming off a two and ten season and doing what we did. But like we said during this uh, conversation, this team has a better record than we did, and so like this team is on the verge of making their own history. This team is not the team that it was last year because this isn't the team that it was last year. This is a different team. And so it's just one of the things that just staying positive. Like these guys are going to go out there and give it their all. These guys are going to handle business. I have extreme confidence in these guys. I've played with these guys. So it's just one of those things like, okay, it's, it's, it's not the end of the world. Yes, the game was close, but, you know, we're winning. So, you know, the coach is going to come together. The guys are going to come together to see, you know, what they can improve on week to week, but we're winning. And that's all that matters. Yeah. And like you said, there was a, a period of time where, we were losing all these close games. We couldn't get over that hump. And Kansas State last year, having that drive at the end of the game to go ahead and finishing it off and putting the, you know, putting the stake in their heart on that fourth and short and finishing that game on the road, flipped the switch in this team. And it was like all of a sudden we knew what it took to dig deep and get over that hump. And it seems like since then, any close game, I have complete confidence that we are going to find a way to pull it out at the end. And um, whether that, you know, three or four of these games recently, we've had the ball in a, a very tight game, in a one-score game, and a fourth down or a critical down where we had to make a play to keep the other team from getting the ball. And every single time, we've converted. Right. And Talk about talk a little bit about Nick. Just the the fact that winning these close games is a skill, and it's it's a skill that will pay off in the end when you have to play a team like SMU, who may not have played a bunch of close games, who may not be as physical as we are, or as mentally and physically tough as we are down the stretch. Most definitely, it, it all goes back into the preparation, and that's one of the great things about Coach Fritz. He prepares you for every scenario. You know, during the week consistently, no matter whether it's week one or week eight, we practice two-minute drill. We practice four-minute drill. When Michael Pratt had the game-winning drive in the Cotton Bowl, it wasn't like, oh, my God, this is a fairy tale. No, these are plays that we have continuously practiced and repped the entire year. And that's one of the things that just goes into the preparation that the coaching staff does a great job of. And so when these guys go out here and they're able to close out these games, they're able to get in situations where Makai Hughes was able to break for the big run and get down and have that situation, be situationally aware to even get down. That's things that a lot of people take for granted. No, that's things that has been practiced. Him to have that awareness to say, okay, I've gotten the first down. Let me go down. Let's kneel it out. Let's get the win. And, you know, a lot of people don't really realize the effort and the the reality that goes into that, that's preparation. That's guys really locking into what the coaches are calling, locking into the scheme, being battle-tested to say, okay, you know, we've practiced this. We've been in this situation before. Let's close it out. Let's get a win. And like you said, it's, it's a lot of teams that aren't used to playing in those tough games. They haven't dealt with a lot of adversity. And that's why Tulane is able to continuously win and continuously get out of those situations because we've seen it, we've done it, we're prepared for it. And I just feel like those, those guys are in a great spot. You know, uh, the last couple of games have been close, um, but they've been wins. And it hasn't been one of those things where guys have gone out and just, you know, not giving it their all. It's just, you know, sometimes the ball game is, isn't going to swing your way. But 
positively, we've been winning and we're going to continue to win. I mean, like you said, man, it's November. Tulane, the wave just get a whole lot stronger in November. And I'm just, you know, pretty confident in those guys and their abilities going into this game on Saturday. Well, let's talk about the game on Saturday, Jimmy. Time for predictions. Um, we, you know, what is going to be the score and what's going to be the deciding factor in your mind? Man, look, I, I, I was convinced i told myself all week i'm gonna get on here i've been predicting way too high too much confidence away i'm not reading the tea leaves in terms of how we've been winning these games um and i was gonna predict a close one and but you know i just as i just think more and more through it and, and sort of just our our trend our trend of playing our best ball late and and you know some of the external motivation factors that our guys have and 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 just you know haven't been there, done that on both sides of the ball now and, and, and in a kicking game and just, you know, supreme confidence we have. It's not going to be a total blowout, but I'm going to go 34-17 wave, take care of business in Boca. All right, Jake, what about you? What's the score going to be and what's going to be the deciding factor? Deciding factor is going to be Michael Pratt getting rolling, pass rush getting rolling. Uh, I think the Green Wave come up with four or five sacks. Um Pencil Pratt in for 280 yards, three touchdowns. Makai Hughes gets to 100 for the seventh consecutive game. And uh, the wave roll, um, 31-20. All right, Nick, let's see. Uh, what is your prediction for the game? What's the deciding factor um, for the wave? Um, I think it's going to be a, a tough game. I, I don't want to discredit uh, FAU. Um, they're a team that's four and six, a team that knows that they have to go out here and fight hard to even get the chance to go to a bowl game. Um, so I don't doubt those guys aren't gonna, you know, give it their best. Also, you gotta think it's senior night. You know, those guys are gonna play with a different pride because it is their last home game. And, you know, if they don't win the game, in which they're not, <laughs> then that's maybe those seniors last time playing in that stadium. Um, but undoubtedly, I know the way we're gonna go down there, they're gonna handle business, they're gonna play with a huge chip on their shoulder. Um, because they've seen the media, they've seen how teams um and, and the media have portrayed them as, you know, being that team that's everybody's holding their breath, waiting on them to lose. Um, and I feel like my final prediction for the game is going to be the Wave winning 26 to 13. That's my final prediction. Well, I, I'm kind of in line with you, Nick. I think that um, it's going to be a tough game. It's a, obviously a road game. We don't know the injury situation yet. And it is a team that's playing with extreme desperation, trying to keep their bowl hopes alive on senior night. I think the wave is going to – on senior day, senior morning, actually. Uh, I think the wave is going to take some early lumps in this game, and I think we we pull away. I'm going to say Tulane 31, FAU 20. Um, you know, Tulane gets to the 10th win of the season, and, uh, you know, we, we come into that UTSA game playing for uh, a host spot in the conference championship game. Um Jimmy, I know that uh, you saw this on Twitter today. We announced that uh, Fear of the Wave Collective is going to provide uh, free tickets to any former st uh, Tulane student athlete that wants to go to the game against UTSA on, on Black Friday. It's a 2.30 kickoff. If you're listening and you're a former student athlete at Tulane, email fearofthewavetickets at gmail.com. That's fearofthewavetickets at gmail.com. Tell us you know, uh, what sports you played, 
um, give us your, your, your best contact information, either the cell phone number or the email address where you want the tickets to be sent. Give us the number of tickets you want. Um, we are giving up to 12 tickets per former student athlete. And uh, we hope to see as many former student athletes as we can get out there um, on Friday. Jimmy, talk about how important it's going to be to have a huge crowd that for that game. No, absolutely. Look, I mean, look, I, I don't know if anybody follows it as close as we do, but, you know, one of the hard things we deal with at Tulane with a with a, a, our students have been awesome all year long. But the reality is most of our students live out of state and it's Thanksgiving break and every home game we've ever had around fall break or Thanksgiving break. You know, they're just not there to fill to fill that section. That's been a great, great advantage to us to have a raucous student section. So we're trying to do our part to sort of make up, you know, to, to have their back next man up. Right. Like we get it. They got to go home, see their families for, 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 for Thanksgiving, no doubt about it. But whether it's the former student athletes or, you know, people in the community who take advantage of ticket sales, we got to get the word out. We got to make sure that we're packing that place, that game. You know, if, if we handle business in Florida this week, we will be playing for the opportunity to come right back the next week as the host of the American Conference Championship game for two straight seasons. You know, that result last year, you know, Nick Nick and the boys were never going to lose with that crowd we were able to get for the for that conference championship game. The place was electric. One of the greatest memories I ever had as a, as a football fan it, it was being in that stadium that day. And so let's do that again. Let's get that opportunity again. But the way we get there is taking care of business in the next two, and it's up to all of us in the fan base to be there and do what we could do to support the boys and, and and step up and do our part to make sure that we got a great home crowd for the UTSA game on black Friday. Look, ABC TV, we got to We got to do, we, we got to treat the wave, right. Got to treat them as well as they've treated us these last two years. And, and so let, let, let's get the word out, make sure people are there uh, for that game. And I tell you what, Jimmy, anybody who donates any amount of money to the fear of the wave collective between now and uh, and the end of Thanksgiving Day, we will give away two tickets to anybody that makes a donation of any, you know, any monetary donation. A dollar will give you two tickets to the game. As long as you're going to show up and make sure somebody's in those seats, we will give the tickets away. So I like it. Let's um, do that. Let's do it. Um, anybody who, who donates to the Fear the Wave Collective between now and the end of the night on Thanksgiving will get two free tickets to the uh, UTSA game, courtesy of Fear the Wave Collective. We hope to see you guys out there. Uh, we'll be back for our post-game show and recap show um, Saturday afternoon or Saturday evening as soon as the game's over. Uh, Nick Anderson, thank you so much for joining us, man. We really appreciate you being here. We hope uh, you come back whenever you have time, whenever you want to. No problem. Thank you for having me. All right. Roll wave, guys. Roll wave. Thanks for listening to Fear the Wavecast. See you next time. Roll Wave.